Heidelberg Catechism, uh, Lord's Day 16, uh, verses 40 through 44 tonight. Uh, in the Heidelberg Catechism, it has been explaining for a few, several Lord's Days so far, the meaning of the gospel, the basics of the faith, using the Apostles' Creed. And so you'll recognize some of those phrases tonight uh, from the Apostles' Creed, that most basic of Christian summaries. So the question is this, why did Christ have to suffer death? And so let's say the answer, because God's justice and truth require it. Nothing else could pay for our sins except the death of the Son of God. Why was he buried? His burial testifies that he really died. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? Our death is not a payment for our sins, but only a dying to sins and an entering into eternal life. And then question 43 on the right side. What further benefit do we receive from Christ's sacrifice and death on the cross? By his power, our old man is crucified, put to death, and buried with him, so that the evil desires of the flesh may no longer rule us, but that instead we may offer ourselves as a sacrifice of thanksgiving to him. And finally tonight, Q&A 44. Why does the creed add, he descended into hell? To assure me during attacks of deepest dread and temptation that Christ, my Lord, by suffering unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul on the cross, but also earlier, has delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. We'll come as well to some Bible passages tonight, uh, just a few moments as well as we go through tonight. Uh, but just to remind you of uh, what we read last Sunday on Easter again from 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, that uh, the heart of the gospel, and the gospel means good news, so the heart of the good news that comes to us from God is that Jesus is the Messiah who died, who was buried, and who rose again for us on the third day. That's the heart of the gospel. So it's all about what Jesus has done, not our works, uh, not our own faith, not our feelings about these things, as I mentioned this morning, but the heart of the gospel, God's own gospel, God's own heart, is that Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised for us on the third day. Amen? Amen. So that's the, the heart of the gospel. And uh, Good Friday, then, Good Friday and Easter, that Christ died and was buried and that he rose again. Uh, Good Friday and Easter should be celebrated every single Sunday. Do you know that? <laughs> should be celebrated every single Sunday. We should always want to hear these things, that Jesus died for our sins and that he was raised for our justification. But because of our finite ability uh, to... Remember everything to celebrate all the things that Jesus has done for us. We do have a set-apart time during the Christian year uh, to celebrate the, these high points, the death of Jesus uh, and the resurrection, especially on Good Friday and Easter. So uh, for our ability to, to uh, contemplate and meditate and remember all these wonderful things that Jesus has done, we do have those, uh, those high points in those days. And we also use our catechism. Our catechism is also an aid for us uh, to bring us back 
in a constant way, in a repetitious way even, back to the basics, back to the basics. Uh, I heard it once said, Cyprian, remember this, uh, that uh, to be elite is to master the basics. He was was told that once by by a college coach. To be elite is to master the basics. Um, and that can be true in any aspect of life, can it? Uh, to be elite is to master the basics. Um, I'm not going to call myself an elite parent, but uh, it is really a coming back to the basics all the time, remembering those basic things, right? Not just our faith, uh, but, you know, we got to wake up tomorrow. We, we have to help our kids get ready for whatever they're doing. Uh, we have to teach them right from wrong. Uh, we have to discipline them when they stray. We have to encourage them when they do well. So those basics too, right? And so everything in life is, uh, is a mastering of the basics. And so we should be praying and we should want to pray and, uh, and to think about these things. I always want to come back to uh, those basics of the Christian faith. And so that's why we use our, our Heidelberg Catechism. And I, and I hope and pray, uh, I, I know that it can get repetitious. I know that we hear these things a lot and, uh, you know, uh, but I hope that by remembering the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, every single Sunday, uh, in some way or another, I hope it always brings us back to our first love of Jesus. Uh, he should be our first love, and we should, uh, as uh, the Revelation says, we should want to come back, to turn back from ourselves, to come back to those basic truths, uh, not to lose that first love, but to have it rekindled. And so, I hope and pray that as we meditate upon the basics of the Christian faith, it brings us back to our first love, even by using the repetitive words of the Apostles' Creed uh, and even our catechism uh, over and over and over again. Uh, It's in those basic things that we remember that love that Jesus has for us. We we would never uh, not tell our wives or husbands or kids. We would never say, we would never just forget to say, I love you, would we? I mean, and when we do, it's a, it's a, it's a symptom of a, of a deep problem. Uh, just in the same way, we want to hear what Jesus has done for us, that he loves us, and so we want to hear those basic truths. Uh, and it's a way for us as well to say to him, uh, I love you, even as we just sang. So tonight, I want to think with you just for a few minutes about uh, the, the heart here of the good news, uh, especially that Jesus uh, died, was buried, uh, and all this was for us. All this is for you. He died and was buried. He really died, and he was really buried. Uh, All of these benefits are for you. Uh, So what did Jesus accomplish? Notice in these questions, I want to just focus on these two big themes that, that on the one hand, Jesus accomplished certain things, and then secondly, that benefits us. So what did Jesus do? What did he accomplish? And then how does that benefit us uh, as believers tonight? Well, we see here in these questions, there's a lot of stuff there, but uh, just very simply that he died, he was buried, and he descended into hell. He died, he was buried, and he descended into hell. What did Jesus accomplish? He died. He died. Uh, The justice and the truth of God require this, the catechism says. So if we go back in our Bibles and we look at Genesis chapter number 2, which I know I mentioned uh, many moons ago in the beginning of our sermons on the Heidelberg Catechism, but Genesis chapter 2 at verse number 17, there is that uh, very famous, that, that, that law that God gave, in the beginning, in the garden, when he told Adam uh, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. In the day that you eat of it, what does the rest of the verse say? You shall surely die, right? Hebrew says, dying you shall die. It's an emphasis. 
That's why we say, you shall surely die, right? You shall surely die. So the justice of God requires that sin has a penalty. And the truth of God says that that penalty must be paid. Okay, so the justice and the truth of God. The justice of God is that sin incurs a penalty. If you sin, you're going to have a payment, or you're going to have a penalty. The penalty is death. And in order for God to be not only just, but also true, that must be real. And so the justice and truth of God require that our sins uh, must be paid for, and nothing else can do that, we read there, except the death of the Son of God. And that brings us, that takes us all the way back in the Catechism. I won't mention that tonight, but just if you want to go back and read uh, Q&A 12 uh, and following, you'll see these themes again. The justice of God being satisfied in the death of the divine human Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's the death of the only Son of God, and that's the only death that can truly satisfy for our sins. We saw that we as human, human beings, we as creatures, we can't make that payment to an infinite God. Uh, and that we, uh, even the death of an angel, even the death of a sacrifice that God required, anything other than the death of a true and, and perfect human being who's also eternally the Son of God, only that death can take away our sins. Only that death can satisfy the demands of God's justice. The day that you eat of it, you surely die. And only that death can keep that truth of God's justice and his law uh, upheld and keep it upright. And so what has Jesus done? He's died for us. We've heard that many times in the the last few weeks, that Jesus has died for us. Now, of course, there are a lot of boundaries uh, of rules and justice, uh, of of, of the rules of justice and truth uh, today that, uh, as always, are being bent. And so, you know, we hear a lot of times in the media today uh, that, you know, there's a two-tier system of justice in America. And it depends on what side of the aisle you stand, you'll, you'll put one group in that tier and one group in that tier. Uh, whether it's rich and poor or whether you're, you know, in the sort of the, in the political elite or you're just one of the plebs, one of the people underneath. Uh, if you're a D, you're on this level. If you're an R, on that level and so forth, right? We, we hear a lot about that that there are two tiers of justice. There's bending of rules. There's bending of justice. There's bending of truth today. And that's always been the case. But what the Catechism brings us back, using these scriptures, is that it's not so with God. So, you know, no, no matter who we are in our society and whether or not we have enough money to bend the rules in our favor, to, uh, to subvert justice, to change the truth, for our benefit, or we don't. None of that stuff matters in the eyes of God in terms of his justice and his truth will never be subverted, changed, thwarted, bent. There are not two tiers of justice with God. There's not two tiers of truth with God. There's God's justice, there's God's truth, everything else, right? There's God's justice and God's truth. And that's what the Catechism says, is that he died for us. He had to suffer death because of God's justice and truth. They require it. End of story. Period. End of story. Right? It's all or nothing again when it comes to God's justice and his truth. He was also buried, secondly. What did Jesus accomplish? He also was buried. And the question and answer there in 41 is, uh, 
I'd have to pull out my Latin text or my German text, but uh, it's at least one of the shortest, like five, I can probably count on one hand, the, the, the questions and answers that are, that are this short. Um, and it says there, why was he buried? And some people have said, you know, this is really a meaningless question. It's sort of a throwaway. Um, it's really, you know, a waste of space. And, you know, why would we have to teach our kids this question? His burial testifies that he really died. And all the God's people say, duh, right, to that. Well, yeah, of course, you know, if he was buried, of course he really died. Well, it's interesting because uh, if he didn't really die, if he didn't really die, then what would be true? What would that mean if he really didn't die? We're still in our sins, right? So, question 40, then, if he didn't really die, then God's justice wasn't really satisfied? If he didn't really die, then the truth of what God said in Genesis 2, verse 17, that the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die, that, that's not true. God's a liar. So he was buried to testify that he really died. To emphasize again, in a second way, in that little short answer, that God's justice and his truth require the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. To testify that he really died. Now that should also bring comfort to us and encourage us. Uh, because if we, every day we look in the mirror. Kids, those of you who are younger than me, you look in the mirror and you probably see, you know, a good looking, a good looking kid. You know, let's be honest here, right? You guys are all way better looking than me. So you see a good looking kid, you know, you got the nice hair. Uh, you know, your, your, your teeth are, are, are nice and white and uh, your skin is glowing, okay? You got nice, you got good-looking eyes and so forth. You just, you know, got a lot of good-looking kids, right? Um, and, and our kids are always just, you know, we want to hug them, we want to grab hold of them and, you know, take great pictures of them and re remember them that way. But you start getting older and you look in the mirror, what do you see? You see a person who's dying. You know, that's the ugly reality. <laughs> that's the God-honest truth, you know? We're, we're dying, um, our bodies are falling apart. Our hair is getting gray. It goes, you know, gray, silver, white. You know, uh, some of our hair starts falling out. We just we get wrinkly. You can't get rid of the wrinkles. You know, you, your body is just deteriorating. You're falling apart, and that's that's reality. That's reality. Uh, you and I are dying every single day. Our bodies are breaking down. Are falling apart. I don't know the exact scientific date when that starts, but I know at a certain point in your life you hit that kind of peak point, and then from that point it's all downhill. Um, you know, I don't know, 60s, a new 40, or whatever they say these days, but it's all downhill at some point, right? We're all dying. Um, but we can praise. As we think about this question, you know, it's a, it's a reminder to us to praise God for Jesus Christ. He really died. You know, I might feel like I'm dying. I might not look as good as I used to look, but he really died to satisfy the justice of God and the truth of God for me, a dying sinner. And he did that to satisfy the justice of God so that I can stand before God righteous and to keep God's truth so that I can know God is real and to know that he's on my side. So he died. He was buried. He descended into hell. And uh, the answer tells us there that Jesus suffered unspeakable anguish, pain and terror of soul on the cross, but also earlier. We think about Jesus suffering on the cross as unspeakable pain. But notice that the answer gives us this little 
subtle shift from our thinking of the crucifixion of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, you know, bodily things, to the unspeakable anguish, pain, and terror of soul, of soul, that internal suffering. And he suffered that on the cross, but even earlier, the answer tells us. Think about Matthew 26, if you turn there. Matthew 26, where Jesus is in a garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. He's there, of course, as the second Adam, just like our first Adam was in a garden, blessed by God. We have Jesus here in a garden, the second Adam, and he's suffering. He's suffering because of the first Adam's sin. And you, we pick up reading there, Matthew 26, uh, verse 36 or so. Uh, he's there in the place of, uh, called Gethsemane. And he tells his disciples to sit down while he goes over there to pray. Uh, and then he takes with him Peter, the two sons of Zebedee. Who are the two sons of Zebedee again? James and John. Good. James and John. Remember, we saw James. He died back in uh, the book of Acts, chapter 8. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Notice that. Sorrowful and troubled. And he told them, my soul, notice this, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And then going a little bit further on into that garden as he leaves in there, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. The imagery of a cup in the Old Testament is God's wrath is like, is like a, a, the wine in a cup, and he's going to pour it out upon people uh, in judgment. Let this cup of judgment pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but as you will. And of course, he comes back, and they can't even watch for an hour. Uh, verse 41, he says, watch and pray that you don't enter, enter temptation. The spirit's indeed willing. The flesh is weak. And he goes the second time, verse 42, my father, if this cannot, pa- uh, uh, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done, and so forth. So you have there this idea that Jesus, even before the cross, is already sorrowful. He's already full of the pains of what is about to happen to him. The terrors of soul, the the pain of soul, the unspeakable anguish of soul. He was struggling in his humanity, wrestling uh, with God uh, for us, for you, and for me. And the book of Hebrews gives us a little glimpse of that when it says this, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 and following. Uh, We read this, in the days of his flesh, so when he was on earth, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, and then listen to this, so this is no doubt, at at a minimum, referring to the, the Garden of Gethsemane, with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Let this cup pass. Let the wrath of God, the judgment of God, let death pass, but yet not my will but yours, right? So he was crying out with loud cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, and so forth. What did he do? He suffered. He suffered in his soul. And our catechism explains that word, those words in the Apostles' Creed, he descended into hell, 
uh, in terms not of his bodily sufferings, but his soulish, we might put it there, his internal sufferings. Not just the cross, but also before. Now, when he gets to the cross, how do we, how do we see that anguish of soul manifested on the cross? What's the famous line that Jesus utters? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We see that, that he's struck with this reality that that cup of God that has been poured out upon him and he's sorrowful, he's suffering, and he's cognizant of that. He's, he recognizes that. Now, the beautiful thing is, of course, he does it for us. He does it for us. Kids, it just reminds us, you know, we, we read these things in the Bible we recite the creeds on Sunday mornings. We read our catechism questions and so forth. It just reminds us, kids, that um, there's more to life than what you can see with your own two eyes. Do you realize, kids, that there's a, a spiritual realm? Right? I mean, you and I can see. I mean, I can see Emmanuel right there. And Emmanuel, if you knock on the pew in front of you, right? It's wood. It's hard. And it's real stuff. We can see this stuff, you know, we have, we have shirts on, we have clothes, you know, we, we're going to go home probably tonight and have some food, we're going to get into bed, a real bed with real blankets and real pillows and all that good stuff. There's a lot of stuff, I mean, we, and we experience all this stuff every day, but there's more than what we can see with our eyes. There's a, a spiritual realm, there's a whole world and a whole universe that exists that we can't see with our very own eyes. And so when our catechism reminds us of that, when it says that Jesus suffered unspeakable anguish, pains, and terror of soul. But kids, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. The spiritual realm that Jesus was expressing when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's just as real. It's as really real as Jesus was really buried and as he really died on the cross for us. So there are are two realms, what we can see, what we can't see. So Jesus did all this. He died. He really died. He really was buried. He really descended to hell as he experienced hell, not just on the cross, but also even before. How do we benefit from that? How does that help us? How is this so important for us tonight? Just a couple things to mention there, really, really quick. You see, uh, I think just four little points on the sermon notes page. How do we benefit from Jesus' accomplishment of really dying and really being buried and really descending into hell? First of all, his death has paid my debt. Jesus' death has paid my debt. The justice, the truth of God require the death of the Son of God. And because Jesus died, my debt, the debt that I owe to God because of my sins, that's already been paid. How much of your debt has been paid, kids? How much of your debt has been paid? You probably don't have any debt yet, but all of it. Did Jesus just pay for all of your sins before you were baptized? Some, in some of my kids' cases, I think uh, a couple of kids were baptized like a couple of days after they were born. So is it only a couple of days of sins? How about your sins right now? How about the debt that you're going to incur if God was to keep a record of wrongs 
from tonight to the end of your life. How about all that sin too? All those sins, it's a debt, right? It's a debt. Because Jesus died, my debt has already been paid. That's why I say every Sunday morning, I try to remember it, to say every Sunday morning that, uh, that our sins have been, your sins have been forgiven, past, present, and future. Right? Past, present, and future. That's such an amazing thing to say. Some Christians say, well, it's, you can say that your sins in the past have been forgiven, and maybe right then and there, you as a pastor and some churches have a priest, and they can tell you right there that your sins, not just in the past, but your sins in the present are, are forgiven. But to say your sins, past, present, and future, that's a really important thing to say. So because Jesus died, my debt has already been paid. And then secondly, uh, my, my debt, so that's Jesus' debt, the benefit of all, all this is that my death is an entrance into eternal life. That question and answer number 42, uh, it's a really important question and answer. I, I have read this question and answer with many people uh, towards the end of their life. Since Christ has died for us, why do we still have to die? It's a natural question to ask. You know, I thought I had eternal life. Why would I die? And it reminds us that your, your death is not a payment for your sins. That's, that's Christ's death, right? That's the first point. But only a dying to sins, a stopping of sin, a ceasing of sin, and an entering into eternal life. We already have eternal life now, but one day we'll, we'll experience the fullness of it in God's presence. And so my death is an entrance into eternal life. Third, Jesus' death is the power of my sanctification. Jesus' death is the power of my sanctification. That's that question and answer number 43. We think of the death of Jesus as forgiving our sins. And yes, that's true, but there's more to it than that. That's what the answer says. Our old man is crucified, put to death, buried with Jesus. And notice uh, in the footnotes there, Romans 6, I would encourage you to read this later on, Romans 6, verse 5 to 11, Colossians 2, 11 to 12. Read those two texts. You have been crucified with Christ. Your sins have been put to death. You've been buried with Jesus Christ in baptism. Why? So that the evil desires of the flesh, your sinfulness, may no longer rule us. Do you realize that you are under new, not just management, but new ownership? That when you came to Jesus Christ and you trust him by faith, you no longer are under the lordship of your sins, the devil, the world. Jesus owns you. You are his servant. He is your Lord and master. And that means that your sins can no longer rule you have mastery over you. Your sins can no longer control you. Now in Romans 6, I'll just mention this, one of those verses tells you that you must, in your mind, you must reckon yourself dead to sin every single day. On the one hand, it's true that you have died your sins and sin is no longer your master. But you have to also preach that to yourself every single day. Reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Tell yourself that tomorrow when you wake up. I'm dead to my sins. I'm alive in Jesus Christ. And then notice that answer con concludes by saying, so inst instead of uh, 
our lives being presented to our to uh, uh, instead of presenting our members Romans 6 says to sin to serve sin notice it says but that instead we may offer ourselves as a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God to Jesus Christ there's Jesus sacrifice to pay for your sins the penalty of your sins and the power of your sins over you and then there's your sacrifice and just like your death doesn't make a payment for your sins your sacrifice of your body doesn't make a payment for your sins. What does your sacrifice do? What is, this, what is offering up your body as a sacrifice to God? What does it do? It shows thankfulness, right? It's gratitude. You're laying yourself down on the altar. You belong to God. And you want to be used by him as a pleasing sacrifice. And then finally, what is the benefit of all this for us? Uh, Jesus has accomplished for us his death, his burial, his descent into hell. Uh, and so his death is my, it pays my debt. Uh, my death is an entrance into everlasting life. His death is the power of my sanctification. And then finally, and then finally, uh, his descent into hell is my assurance when I feel the temptations of hell. His descent into hell is my assurance when I feel the temptations of hell. Answer 44 tells us the meaning of that and why it's so important is that it's to assure me during attacks of deepest dread and temptation that Jesus has delivered me from hellish anguish and torment. I mentioned this morning um, when... uh, uh, Paul was preaching and then he was uh, opposed when Paul and Barnabas were preaching and Mark uh, and were opposed by Bar-Jesus, the son of Jesus, son of Joshua, that whenever we speak of the gospel to people, there's always going to be a spiritual attack. Whenever we try to live for Jesus and be different from the world, there's always going to be spiritual torment and spiritual battle with the world, our own sinfulness, the devil himself. And in the same way, I want to encourage you tonight uh, that uh, as a Christian, uh, as, uh, even as our society continues to descend into uh, utter foolishness, uh, that the attacks are going to become more, in, uh, they're going to increase in more intensity and more frequency if we stand for the truth. If we stand for the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And if we stand for the reality and the truth that he calls us to follow him, to serve him, to die to ourselves and to live for him, you are going to be attacked spiritually. But know when that attack comes, when you're tempted by your friends just to give in a little bit, you know, just to fit in, just to, just to be part of the, of the crew, the, the crowd, uh, be assured that Jesus suffered hell And he's anguished inside too for you, to help you, to encourage you. And if Jesus underwent the actual sufferings of hell on the cross, uh, we can be encouraged that in our small little bit of torment, uh, that Jesus is going to uphold us and see us through it. So be encouraged uh, tonight as we come to uh, pray and to thank the Lord for the amazing good news again, that Jesus died that he was buried, he descended into hell upon the cross, and even before, to benefit us, to help us, to encourage us, 
to strengthen us. And so let us go out. Let us go out with Christ before us and behind us and with us to the end of the world. Let's give the Lord thanks.